Amen. Please be seated. This summer, we are looking at parables. Starting in August, we'll go back to the book of Isaiah, Lord willing. And today, Luke 18 is our focus. So please turn there, or you can find on the insert in your bulletin the passage, as well as a short outline. And the parable that we are studying today offers some of the most practical instruction you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Um, All of us um, need to hear what this uh, message is. And uh, whether you're a child who has things you're nervous about, you're concerned about, whether you're a high school student, you're wondering about what you're going to do next in your life, maybe you're a college student, you're wondering about, you know, am I in the right major, or I have this relationship issue, or something's happening with my family. It could be that uh, you're an adult and you have a job decision to make, a household uh, thing or challenge that's uh, facing you. It could be something really big, it could be something really small. Uh, The passage applies to all of us. It's teaching Jesus gives for all believers to hear and be encouraged by, to guard from becoming discouraged. That's exactly why he gives this story. Now, the context for this story is it's pretty big. I mean, the people who are starting to follow Jesus were feeling pressure um, from the Jewish religious authorities and they were also feeling pressure from the culture around them, the Gentiles, or the Roman authorities. It was becoming obvious that becoming a Christian would be difficult. And so they were struggling. And Jesus wants them to, to be encouraged and guard against discouragement. Uh, and remember that justice ultimately comes in Christ, and he'll come again. And that's, that's pretty big picture stuff. I mean, we pray to help stay encouraged while we await Christ's return. That's for sure. But every little thing along the way is part of that bigger picture of our life, and it's important, and God cares about it. So hear the story Jesus tells in order to teach something about prayer to all of us, his children. This is Luke 18. I'll read 1 through 8. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city... There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's bow together as I uh, lead us in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that we can trust its teaching. We thank you for encouraging us by your word, with parables like the one that Jesus taught. Help us to be persistent in our appeals to you, our prayers to you. Cause us to go to you with everything in prayer. Surely, Lord, if this unjust, unrighteous judge would listen to a powerless widow, you are perfectly just and compassionate, Heavenly Father, are happy to listen to us, your beloved children. We praise you for the favor that you show us through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 
As I alluded to, you know, there are many challenges in life that might cause you anxiety, could give you nervousness, could make you worry, could make you scared, could give you fear. Trials come because we're pilgrims on the earth. As Christians, there may be pressures and persecutions and oppressions that come because we name the name of Christ. But even if that weren't the case, there's just a lot of stuff that happens in life, things that are out of our control, trials that come upon us, unanswerable questions, wonderment about what's coming in the future. It's just always coming to us. And God doesn't say we're weak because we have these concerns. Instead, he gives us clear direction about what we should do all along the way to help us so that these things don't become paralyzing. They don't alter who we are in the abundant life we have in him. This could not be more poignant uh, for our day, any day. And sometimes when Jesus uses a parable, a story, uh, to tell a heavenly meaning, he'll wait till the end and then tell you what it means. This is one of those cases where right in verse 1, he tells us the purpose of the story we're about to hear. Look there at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect. There's no question what his purpose is here. That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's the message for us. It's an encouragement to be persistent in prayer as we navigate this challenging life. Keep praying, brothers and sisters. God will answer you, his child, in his time. Now, there's an unlikely model for persistent prayer that he gives. It would have kind of shocked people when they heard it, which is a usual way Jesus would tell a story. Normally, he would give characters in a parable, and you could see clearly, okay, this person represents God, this person represents me, or, or a religious ruler, or someone else he's addressing. That's sort of the case here, but you'll see it's by contrast that he grabs us. It's just masterful. We should expect this from Jesus, and he gives it to us again. Verse 2, and he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, What a terrible description for a guy who's supposed to be a judge. He had no accountability. Uh, He could wield power and decisions just as he wants because he didn't care what God thought and he didn't care what people thought. He's not a man who is characterized by mercy or justice. Really the two most important features you would want to have in a judge. Someone who's deciding matters that really impact people's lives. Maybe life or death. He was most likely part of what would have been recognized as a kind of roving justice system. It's not uncommon in other parts of the world, especially where there's tribal law. A country may be too big to have district judges or rulers deciding matters or courts. So instead, the ruler or leader of a given area would send judges out to hear cases in various regions. Uh, They would be very independent. It would depend on their personal integrity greatly as to how they would rule. This is probably one such judge. He goes to this city. Uh, There's no courthouse. There's a tent. And he sets it up and he hears cases. And he has authority from the rulership to make decisions that are binding, that become law. But we know the man doesn't care about what God thinks. And he doesn't care about uh, popularity or about what people think. He has no accountability, no concern for this, no conscience really. I mean, that's, that's a scary thing when someone like that comes into power. And here he is, uh, hearing cases. Uh, and it was not unusual, though it doesn't say it explicitly here, it would not be unusual for justice to be bought, where someone would bribe a judge and get the decision that he or she wants. So that's the judge. Look at verse 3, the other person in the story. There was a widow in that city 
who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, we have quite the opposite of this judge. We have someone who's completely powerless, totally at the mercy of the culture and the city she lived in. In these days, women were not given equal standing with men, let alone if they were widows who had no husband to advocate for them. It was a terribly difficult position to be in. And she was left a widow, destitute, essentially, probably with little or no money. In fact, maybe what she's coming to the judge for is is something related to being robbed or being uh, stolen from in some way. She could have been abused. Something terrible happened to her that made her come to this judge, seeing that it was the only way she could get justice. And so she comes to him. This powerless person who you could easily ignore and nobody would judge you for it comes to this judge who doesn't care about anybody's opinion, God's included. I mean, what a, what a contrast and a picture of two unlikely people involved here. And it says in verse 3, she kept coming to him. That's translated from a word that means she started and kept at it, kept at it, kept at it, nagging him with this request. Give me justice against my adversary. She needed something. She was wrong in some significant way. She kept coming to him. No power or influence to leverage in this case, but her persistent pleas get a result. Look at verse 4. For a while, as you might expect a guy like this, I mean, no benefit to him to give her what she wants. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Of course, this is what he's thinking in his mind. It's not like he said out loud what's true of him. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, you can just feel it, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Beautiful language to to depict how persistent she was with this guy. The woman was wearing him out with her nagging pleas. You know, uh, a funny parallel to this has come to my attention again over the last couple weeks. I had forgotten, since it's been a while since I was a 12 or 13-year-old or even a 14 or 15-year-old, really it's been a long while since I was 20, but that's besides the point. I was thinking back at how important when summer camp was coming, how important what cabin you were in. None of us are thinking that's a big deal, right? That's a big deal when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, right? It is. It's all right to say so. In fact, I'll let you off the hook before I say more by telling you when I was that age, I got a friend of mine, and neither friend is in this church. It was someone else. A friend of mine and I snuck into the locked church office to find the cabin list out. And I'm not lying about this. The senior pastor's office had the list, and we got it, figured out, copied it on a photocopier, because they didn't have phones to take the pictures of it back then, a photocopier, and we were dismayed by the list. And so we did some analytics about the list and tried to convince the pastor and the secretary to change it, realizing we just gave up the fact that we found out the list beforehand. (laughs) So I know it's important, but last week I was getting hounded by some of the young stirs about what the cabins would be. I said, I don't make the list. Jake makes the list. <laughs> so they're hammering Jake. They're hammering Jake. So at the beginning of the week, on Monday, he comes to me and says, I've got the list figured out, but don't tell them we had the list because they'll drive us crazy. Somehow by Wednesday, they found out we got the list, and guess what? They drove us crazy. They kept driving us crazy. Finally, we just gave it. Okay, here's the list. And then, of course, a few new people sign up yesterday, and the list gets all mixed up, but at any rate, 
The persistent widow has one thing in her mind, and it's important, and she's going to drive at it and drive at it and drive at it, and that's what she does. And finally, he just gives in and says, you're going to kill me with all these incessant pleas. That's the story. What does it teach us? Well, look at verse 6, because this is where we start to understand exactly what Jesus is depicting related to prayer and how we should keep praying. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. I mean, this, this, this really scandalous individual. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now see this beautiful analogy, the story that grips us by contrast. God is the opposite of the unjust judge, the unrighteous judge. He's perfectly righteous, totally fair all the time, completely empathetic, totally compassionate. He is fair and just and will always make the right decision. If that God is not just our by distant relations authority, but our father no less. If he's our father, we're not like the widow either because we have complete standing with him in Christ. Uh, We have access to his throne of grace as his children. So if the unjust judge, who doesn't care about anything but himself, will hear the pleas of a woman who has no standing, if, if that's the case, what about a father who's the perfect judge hearing from his children? Will he not answer? And of course, the ultimate reality for this are people who are under persecution. I mean, that's the ultimate answer to this, that he will not hold back from answering long. Now, that could mean they're with him soon. It could mean he relieves their persecution. That's the big picture here. We shouldn't lose that fact. But what he teaches is universal about the children of God speaking to their father and pleading with him, asking him for things, bringing their desires to him, praying. So if you're nervous about something, it doesn't matter if you think it's little. It's not little to your God, to your Father. Everyone at their stage of life has something that's really stressing them. And it could even be that what cabin you'll be in. It's worth going to the Lord in prayer. Because the process of prayer, what prayer is and what it does, will help give you ease about whatever the situation is. And it will help you to not lose heart, to not become discouraged. So the practice of going to our Father all the time is essential for our experiencing assurance that God loves us and He's our Father. It goes closely hand in hand. With that, I want us to consider further something more about prayer. Um, This story is not intending to give an exhaustive theology of prayer. It's giving us one angle on it, you might say. It says in verse 7 something that's very important that crafts our understanding of who we are as we come to God in prayer. It says in verse 7, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Now, this is the highest word God uses to describe his people. There are many ways he describes us. But elect is a divine word he uses. It's not a word we even use for ourselves much in describing ourselves as Christians. And that makes sense. It's God's angle on how he has chosen a people for himself. It means his chosen ones, his children. Election is by God's good pleasure apart from anything that we have done. Election is on the basis of our redemption in Jesus that he has provided for us. Because God chose us, Christ died for us. 
Our redemption, it's, it goes hand in hand with, it's simultaneous with our adoption. When Scripture speaks of our being elect or chosen, this is very important. It helps us understand why prayer should be a regular part of every believer's life, why it's a means of God's grace to us so we understand that we are adopted. All these big words are important. Election, calling, regeneration, justification, redemption, salvation, sanctification. They're all benefits of God's favor upon us, and they're reasons we should go to him in prayer. I love what Paul says when he opens up his letter to the Ephesians. Remember, this is a church he helped to plant. Timothy is the pastor there, most likely at the time he writes this book. And listen to how he describes for believers their relationship with God. He does this because he knows when people understand who they are and who God is, what prayer is will make sense. Communication with God will make sense. How we grow in God will make sense. So this is the the descriptor that Paul gives when he opens up the letter to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. That's the word for election. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So you see how much he loves those he's chosen. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Why do I say this? This is a descriptor of God's people, God's elect. So when we read, and will not God give justice to his elect, know what that means. The word is full of meaning. It's full of passion for his people, his children. So his children can come to him with anything. Will he not give justice to to his elect who cry to him day and night? You know, when I think about this place of favor we have, a good comparison I can relate with is my daughter, six years old. When she asks me for something, generally she gets it. I don't care that you're laughing. That's kind of the point. Daddy, will you play with me? Of course I will. My sons are like, you didn't play with me like that. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, I love you, but (laughs) they do it too, though. Daddy, can you do this puzzle with me? Yes, I'll do that puzzle with the three puppies on it for the 15th time. Puppies on it. Yes, I'll do it. (laughs) Daddy, will you put me to bed? Absolutely. Daddy, can I sit in your lap? Yes. Daddy, can I have this toy? Of course. Daddy, can I have this snack before dinner? Sure, is your mom looking? Yeah, you can have it. No question. Go ahead. This isn't even a joke, and my wife knows it. I mean, this is it. My boy, uh, you know. Daddy, will you dress up like this? Can I? I'm a horse, you know. I'm whatever she wants me to be because she's my daughter. I love her. She can ask me anything. And that's only a fraction, a fraction. That might even be an insult to God to say that. A fraction of how much he loves you. So sure, when you come to him and cry out to him, whatever it is, how small you think it is, of course he hears you, and of course he wants to answer you. Don't lose heart. God is not like the unjust judge. Don't lose heart. You're not like the widow. 
you have st- the standing of a child, a full-ranking child. And will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? No. That's the rhetorical question. Keep praying. God will answer his children in time. Now, as I said, the parable is not meant to be exhaustive about prayer. So in the time we have, I do want to remind us of what the Bible says prayer is in basic form. That's the beauty of our catechism. It really helps. If you haven't used it before to help answer basic questions, it's great for that. It's in the back of our hymnal. You can get it online easily, get a hard copy of it. And it really serves to answer important questions that help our assurance in things because it points us to the means that God gives us for this. What is prayer if prayer is the thing that we bring persistently before our God? Now, very simply, it's not enough. I want to say this forthrightly. It's not enough to say that prayer is just something we do to stay encouraged. It's not like words you speak to kind of help focus your mind and then you're, you get over something. It's not like that's not what prayer is. Prayer is far more than that. Prayer is also, though, not what God depends on to act. Sometimes we think if we don't pray, God won't do something. That's not true of prayer at all. We don't pray to change what God's going to do or to activate God. Now, it's true in his sovereignty he ordains prayers to accomplish ends, but we have to get our place right on this. God's not sitting there waiting for us to pray or else he won't do something. If he's that powerless, why would you pray to that one? No, prayer is far more than that. It's a means of God's grace to help us be assured of who he is and what our salvation means and affords. Prayer is an exercise that will help uphold our spirits through tough times, especially. Keep praying, God will answer. Now, there are a couple questions that I want to mention to you again. One we didn't read earlier, one we did. The first one just describes how prayer fits into all the means that God gives us to grow in grace. Listen to what it says. Question 88. What are the outward and ordinary means or ways or tools whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. I used all those big words, our benefits of redemption. They describe things that God's done for us. How do we have access to those big worded things so that we have assurance, that it gives us a sense of security, that when we pray to him, we know he hears us and cares, and he's working on our behalf? Well, the answer. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances especially the word, sacraments, and prayer. The word, sacraments, and prayer. These are the three ordinary means or ways or tools that God uses to help us all grow in Christ and become more assured that we are his. There may be other things he does, but these are the ordinary means. So we should really be about them. The word, the sacraments, and prayer. All which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Now, the follow-up concerns prayer. We know the Word, preached, taught, read, studied. It helps us be assured of what is true. The sacraments kind of give that confirmation in a physical form. It shows us what's true in the Word. Prayer, though, is the third, and it's so important. It's part of all of it, and the Word puts it forth. What is prayer? We read it earlier. I hope you paid close attention as you were reading the answer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, for things agreeable to his will. That's very important. In the name of Christ, it's only through Jesus we can talk to God, 
with confession of our sins, there's a humility about it, and a thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. He just listens to it. There's a humility, there's a, a love and a care and appreciation as we come to him. Prayer, an offering up of our desires to God. Here's what's important. You know the next phrase is for things agreeable to his will, but you know and I know we don't always know what his will is. So offer up the things that are desirable to him. Now, as you grow in Christ and know what his word says, your prayers will change because you'll know what things you just shouldn't pray for, right? They may be sinful things or things that just aren't that important, and you learn that in time. But if you don't know that, pray it. Just, Just bring it to God. He's your father. I mean, when a child comes to their parent with something that's a silly request, we try not to make it seem silly. We try to explain why that's probably not the best request or whatever. So just bring it to God knowing that the desire ultimately is for things agreeable to his will. Well, part of what prayer does is is it drives us to to the word. It drives us to good counsel from the word. And so our prayers start to change according to his will. And that's a purpose of prayer in itself, to make our will more in line with his will. And that helps us deal with whatever situation comes. We pray for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ. That's an acknowledgement that the reason we can come uh, to the throne of grace is because of Jesus' sacrifice. It, it constantly reminds us that Christ has given us a relationship with the Father. We're adopted because of what Christ has done. It's why Charles Wesley wrote in his wonderful hymn, Bold, I Approach the Eternal Throne. Not because of him, but because of what Christ has provided as a mediator. mediator. I love what the author of Hebrews says when describing for believers, how Jesus functions as the great high priest, the great mediator. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. So we pray for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins, simply put, with a sense of deserving nothing, with humility, with contrition, with repentance, This is why David said in Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at this time, a time when you may be found. He starts with a humility because he knows his sins are laid bare before his God. In a thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, we also pray concerning, rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, recognizing the mercy and the grace that God has bestowed. That's the demeanor we come to God with. In the parable of the persistent widow, we are taught to keep praying. God cares for his children. Jesus gives more teaching on prayer, and these questions capture some of that. But perhaps the best way to finish our thoughts on this comes from the words of the prayer we pray every week. And we pray this prayer every week because Jesus said, unlike many things that he said, when you pray, pray like this. Now, he doesn't mean to say that's the only prayer you ever pray. Or that you just say it as some magical recitation. That's not the reason for the Lord's Prayer. That prayer was crafted exactly for his children. And it captures all the elements that help us pray in the right way. And it guides us in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
So it starts with our Father. Not, oh, high and king, exalted one who I might... Our Father, who are in heaven. But at the same time, holy is your name. I recognize who you are as my Father. I don't come to you disrespectfully in any way. Total reverence. In fact, your kingdom come. Whatever I'm about to say, let me be reminded that it's your kingdom that everything is about. So that will help us with our prayers already. Am I praying it for God's kingdom or for myself? How do they relate? Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will as it is in, on earth in its sovereign sense, may it be so on, as it is in heaven, may it be so on the earth as well. So the prayer starts out by shaping our stature in the right way towards God. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm about to pray for my 401k in the future or about what my company will do. Hey, I'm not saying you should pray for that. But first, Lord, give us this day our daily bread that we would trust you every day. That might help me not get too far ahead of myself about what I'm praying for. Just today, make me trust in you. And by the way, forgive my trespasses, my debts, my sins against you, my offenses against you. We know that's true in Christ, but it's helpful to say out loud to our Father. And by the way, since we've been forgiven, forgive our debts as we then also practice that forgiveness with others as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Please, O Lord, deliver us from evil. We know we're prone to it. Because ultimately, I come to you with these requests. By the way, only one line is really about this day, our daily bread. But I come to you, O Lord, with these requests because it's all your kingdom. It's your universe. It's your power that makes any of this be true. And it's for your glory because that's the only glory that lasts forever. So you see, we pray this prayer every week because the purpose of prayer that we often overlook is prayer is actually about changing us. Thankfully, it's not about changing God. He needs no changing. I'm the one who needs changing. So keep coming to him. Whatever it is you're worried about, I don't care if it's about school, it's about your job, it's about a relationship you're in, it's about the future of the country, the future of the world, what's going to happen in the next hour, what will happen tomorrow. All of it, bring to God. Make up pattern of bringing your pleas to God. And there's something that's really gnawing at you. It's really got you burdened. Be like the persistent widow. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. Does he not love you, his child? Will he not listen? Will he not give you justice? And justice is what he says it is. And we'll come to appreciate it and grasp it and accept it as we bring to him what this or these requests are. I think that Calvin said it very well when he was describing prayer. He said, prayer is not so much for his sake as for ours. He wills indeed, as is just, that due honor be paid him by acknowledging that all which men desire or feel to be useful and pray to obtain is derived from him. But even the benefit of the homage which we thus pay him rebounds back to ourselves. As is almost always the case, whatever text I'm studying for the week, the Lord uses to convict me and change and challenge me And this is an area that I have needed this kind of encouragement in for quite some time. I know my general demeanor is, if you bring me something, um, it's true, I guess, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, generally when someone comes to me and shares something with me that's a problem or a challenge to them or something they're stressed about or anxious about, maybe I am too, 
My first demeanor, very honestly, is to try to fix it right away. Okay, there's a way to figure this out. And I kind of go in my mind, what are some options? And I'm thinking right away how to solve the problem. I mean, there's got to be a, you're coming to me, you want an answer for a problem, right? So that's what I'm here to, supposed to give you, right? I mean, how, worth am I, how worthy am I if I can't give you some kind of answer to something? And I, and I can think that way about myself. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. But what I've learned again and afresh, something I knew already, but I needed to hear it again, and I kept hearing it as I read this story, I need to pause with, there's nothing I'm that wise about, nothing. Everything I really should start out with pleading to God concerning, Lord, give me wisdom to know what to do in this situation, or not be so worried about the situation happening in a way I think it should. Let me be bent and molded by your will. And it takes literally pausing to realize I'm not the sovereign one here. I'm not the one that answers people's problems. I can't answer my own. I've got to go to God first, and I've got to plead with him to give wisdom to do the right thing. I know all of us can relate with that, and that's why I think this parable is so, so critical and so relevant. Verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded that you chose us and you love us. We are once again refreshed by knowing of your fatherly watch care over us. Therefore, we pray to you, knowing that you care so much. We are your children. We know that you hear our prayers. Lord, where we are stressed, give us rest in you. Where we are anxious, give us relief, knowing your empathy and your compassion. Where we might be tempted to lose heart, remind us of your strong arm upholding us. During this day and during this week, when we are tempted to be worried, anxious, angry, distrusting, or discouraged, Lord, please prompt us to pray to you, our Heavenly Father. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing a very fitting uh, song to prepare us for the Lord's Supper. 634, let's stand and sing. Verse 1 and verse 2 of Sweet Hour of Prayer, paying particular attention to the words as we sit.